This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to the Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free, as you noticed. This is the show I wish I had a decade ago. The show's about you. We're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with us by checking out the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. We've got a lot of free stuff going in there, roundups of the shows, free eBooks, drills, exercises, a lot of things that you wouldn't get just for free on the website or anywhere else. And if you're new to the show but you wanna know more about what we teach here at the Art of Charm Live programs here in LA, check out the toolbox at theartofcharm.com slash toolbox. We've got all of our fundamentals there, nonverbal communication, body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, dating attraction, networking, negotiation, relationships, all kinds of stuff that most people overlook, and it's the real nuts and bolts stuff that we teach at our programs. And we've got our live programs, of course, running every single week here in Los Angeles, California, if you're itching to get this stuff in order for yourself. Theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. You can call us, you can email us. I'm Jordan at theartofcharm.com, and I read everything. Looking forward to meeting all of you guys here at AOC. Now, today we're talking with my friend, Jarek Robbins. We're gonna talk about what the purpose of your life is and how to find it, not in that weird woo-woo way that a lot of people think when they hear words like purpose. We're gonna also talk about how to order your priorities so you end up happy, re-examining our days, literally the times and days, and how we spend our time for maximum results during the day, and focusing on your core values so hard work doesn't feel so much like work. Enjoy this one with Jarek Robbins. So first of all, I mean, you got awarded a Congressional Medal at age 23. Is What is that and why did you get that? Because isn't that like the highest civilian honor you can get from the United States government or something like that? Wrong. Okay. False. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for asking. Uh, yes, I got the medal. No, it's not the Congressional Gold Medal. Um, the Congressional Gold Medal is like George Washington, probably Abe Lincoln. That's like what I thought. Yeah, I was like, are you kidding me? Um, you literally like, it's not a medal of honor. It is not from the president for risking my life to save the country. Um, okay. what it is, is a congressional award gold medal. And a congressional award is something that's set up. It's a youth program from 14 to 23 years old. I think it's set up for that age range of life specifically to challenge you to see what you can consistently build and create in your life. And they give you four things to focus on. Personal development, professional development, community service, and an excursion, doing something outside of your normal comfort zone. And what they do is they have a six-tiered system. So you get a silver certificate, then a gold certificate, then a bronze certificate, gold, silver, gold certificate. Then if you keep going, putting in all the time and effort and hours, it adds up, and then you can get the silver, or bronze, silver, and gold medal. Okay, so you, you can earn it. It's not like you have to be take a bullet for Obama in the right place and then you get it. Exactly. Okay, got it. I was so confused. No disrespect, but I was like, what on, what on earth are you going to do by age 23 that's worth, let's be real here. I was at NASA and uh, there was a computer challenge. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you stopped global thermonuclear war like Matthew Broderick. Or wait, he started it. Never mind. Terrible example. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about what you do, because I like to have people introduce themselves and then interrupt them when they say something interesting. Sure. Um, really simple. What we do is we're a mix between performance coaching business, where we coach individuals on maximizing their absolute performance, whether that's in, we have clients as startup CEOs, mid-level managers, students, we get you know a handful of college students that'll come in wanting to put together their life plan to maximize every ounce of who they are as a human being, all the way to global banks. We've had guys from Goldman Sachs and other types of firms come through, uh, law firms. And we do everything between helping them manage their personal life, figure out how to maximize you know their lifestyle and who they are. A lot of these guys have earned every award and every level of achievement they've ever wanted as far as their business is concerned. But for some reason, because they're making tons of money, they have the lifestyle, they have the ability to do anything they want, but they're just not happy. 
Right, they're friggin' miserable. I used to work on Wall Street, so I've seen that firsthand, and people don't believe that exists until they see it. They're like, no, if I had money, all my problems would be totally solved, because I wouldn't fall into that trap. And then suddenly you're like, I hate my life, but I'm rich. How did this happen? Yeah, and I'll give you a very specific example. I, I We were just on a retreat in Thailand. We took people 10 days, and we did three days of hiking through the mountains. Um, we lived with hill tribes for three nights, which was an adventure because I forgot you shower with a cold bucket of water. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, no toilets. <laughs> I get a good hole in the ground, rode elephants. Uh, it was an adventure. We, we set the foundation for a family's home there. We got to meet the family and then help pour the cement and actually set the foundation for their home they're building. And then we worked on ourselves along the whole journey. And one gentleman who joined us, I'll leave specifics out just to not throw him under the bus, but he's from London. He's 30 years old. And he started a franchise chain of fast food restaurants. And by the time he was 26 years old, he had over 50 million Great British pounds, so like $100 million US bank. Wow. And at that stage of his life, he had an Austin Martin. He was learning how to play the guitar. He would go to the guitar store and be like, what's the best guitar? And they're like, you know, that $7,000 guitar. And he's like, great, I'll take four. Right. Like, <laughs> he had everything, plus some. And he's like, oh, you play the guitar too? To the, you know, the desk clerk. And he's like, here, have one and walked out of the store. And it's just that overly abundance attitude, kind of the, you know, if you want to go this far, Dan Blitzberg, where it's like, you have everything you want, you're flashing it, you're throwing it around, and you're showing everyone how cool you are. Um, the challenge is, when you got down into his psychology, he's like, honestly, I was unbelievably depressed thinking that the next thing might make me feel a little bit happier than the thing I just got. And it just wasn't doing it. And he's literally, he's like, I got to a point where I was so depressed that I decided I wanted to kill myself. And I didn't want to do it because he, he's Chinese as far as descent. And, and it's, uh, you lose your honor to do that. So he's like, I didn't want to lose my honor as, as a man. Um, so honestly, I just looked for really dangerous situations to put myself in, hopefully, you know, hoping one of them would kill me. <laughs> wow. It's like I got a random phone call from a friend going to Africa being like, hey, it's a really dangerous, crazy, wild trip. He's like, dangerous? I'm in. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. You know, went to Africa, got there. And he started looking around and he noticed how much people were really struggling every day. And that's a place I lived for three months in a village, rural farming village in Uganda, teaching organic farming, um, teaching people how to put their lives together and teaching them really just how to speak English and kind of get things going. And um, I'm not one for oppressing our thoughts and rituals on other people, but if they're interested in it, I'd sure as heck teach it to them. Sure. And so I was there teaching and I really understand the rural living that exists there. I mean, you got to walk a quarter mile just to get a bucket of water to come back to boil it, to wait an hour for it to cool, keeping the mosquitoes out of it, just to have like drinking water for the afternoon. It's, it's extreme. Wow. So he went there, saw how they lived. And at first he just started like passing out money because he's like, Hey, I can help. Like take some money, take some money, you know, fix your house, buy this, get that, get a goat, whatever you want. And they called him the crazy Mazunga, which is term for white people, the crazy white guy who's handing out money. <laughs> right. Yeah. And also, I mean, the crazy white guy who's like, we're going to go on vacation and help build your house and ride elephants, even though we know you have cars. Like, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> yeah. So I fit in that category as well for some reason. So with that thought process, eventually he figured out it's unsustainable. You know, to just take what you have and dump it on other people and give it all away is not sustainable. And even though he had, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, he, he realized at that point, like, I can run out of money if I do this. And that's just not smart. So his mission became setting up sustainability in that country. Now he has a school that he's built there that does over 235 students each year. And they have the highest test scores in the region. They're outdoing all, you know, other nonprofits that are competing with as far as educating the, the children and getting rid of their best selves. And he's really proud of it. And what happened was it wasn't necessarily making all the money or getting all the stuff that brought fulfillment or joy into his life, it was finding something with meaning and purpose that mattered to him to focus on. Okay. And because he didn't have purpose, that's what you're saying. He was miserable because he felt like he had no purpose and tons of money. And it's like that gold medalist syndrome. And I can't remember who t talked about this with me on my show before, but a lot of these Olympic gold medalists, they win gold and then they're like, wait, that's, that's it. That's what I've been training for. I now what? And they just a lot of them have like drug and alcohol problems because they're just like, what do I do now? That was it. I have I've never thought about the day after the gold medal. And the challenge is, where do you go from there? Yeah. If you if you look in history and you watch people who like were uh, NASA astronauts who went to the moon, like you work your whole life, you work and work work, prepare 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 prepare, train 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 train. You get in the rocket, you fly to the moon, you get to the moon, you come back, 
they have a giant parade. You see the president, you know, they honor you in every way, shape and form. And then they're like depressed alcoholics. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And you're right. Exactly. Spot on. He never thought the day after. What do you do then? Why do you think that messes people up so much? Just side note, you know, why do, why do you think that messes people up? Because it seems like, oh, yeah, you know, having no purpose, man. But like, what's the big deal? I mean, you have money, you don't have a purpose. Why is that a problem? Can't you just like hang out all day? Um, you could, but sometimes you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And so part of what messes it up is the whole reason that inspired you to go off the money in the first place was just not the right reason. Ah, yes. What drives a lot of people for that in the first place is usually pain from somewhere. Interesting. Okay. So my goal is to go make as much money as humanly possible so that I don't have to go the shit through the stuff that other people I know went through growing up. So this pain is driving them. And as soon as the pain disappears, they just stop. And like, well, I got it. The pain's gone. Now what do I do? It didn't have a bigger meaning than solving that pain. Now that's some people. Other people, you know, they grew up always wanting mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, uncle, aunt's love or appreciation or attention or affection or approval. And because of that, they equated in their head, if I can just earn enough or create enough abundance, whether it's cars or, you know, getting a house. One thing that he said to me, the guy from London, he said, you know, one thing I always wanted to do was prove to my dad that I can make it because my dad always told me if I drop out of school, I'll never make anything of myself. So part of his drive for making all that money was to prove to his dad that he was going to make something of himself. And he's like, the greatest day ever was driving up in an Austin Martin brand new off the dealership to my dad's house and be like, hey, jump in. You can drive. Look at this car I just overpaid for at the dealership. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, was your dad proud? He's like, oh, his, his jaw hit the ground. Like, he's never been in one of those in his life. And he was like, wow. And he's like, is your dad proud of you now? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, did that fix the depression? And he's like, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're laughing because it's not funny at all, right? It's really sad. <laughs> but it's, it's again, it's someone going after it for the wrong reasons. They're trying to get someone's approval versus doing it because they think it'll help them grow as a human being or doing it because it, they associate meaning and purpose to it. So the other thing is they're missing meaning and purpose in what they do, and they think more is better. While I was living in that village in Uganda, as a side story, just to go back, I met a man that rocked my freaking universe. And it was the janitor of a little clinic that was right outside the place I was staying in. And I was staying in like the back room of a broken down old schoolhouse that happened to have metal windows that I could lock at night and a door with a, a key and lock so I could lock my stuff in it during the day so no one stole it. Okay. And so I'm like in like a closet in the back of an old schoolhouse living. <laughs> and every day I'd push open these shutters and lean out just to watch the sunrise. And I had a watch. So my watch would go off at right around like 6 a.m. just to tell me, hey, open the things. The sun's coming up. Now, this guy didn't have a watch. But every single morning at sunrise on the dock, he would be sweeping leaves off this long dirt path out front of this clinic. And I finally went and interviewed him one day because it bugged the head. I'm curious as hell. Like I see a plane go over my head. I'm like, how does it do that? <laughs> I, I, I feel bad for some people who are my friends, but I just ask them millions of questions. Yeah. You're like a child. Yeah. I love it. I love learning. And I, I saw this guy and I was like, I want to know why he freaking does this every day. He never, obviously it's his job, but he never misses. He's always there. It's like perfection at his best. It's really crazy. And so I got a hold of somebody. They, they translate and we asked him, why do we do? And it took a couple of translations, but finally he came back and he said, you know, the reason I do this is because I believe every human being, whether it's a small child about to enter this world or a sick or elderly person about to leave this world and die, deserves a clear path to do so. Deep. Deep. Yeah, yeah like, no joke. He's a janitor. Yeah. But to him, it means so much more than just sweeping leaves and being a janitor. And he t he's like in his 80s, probably. I mean, he's hunched over a little old man. And he takes such pride in doing what he does. He has so much meaning in those actions that he is unbelievably fulfilled. Like the other reason I asked him why he does what he does is every day this guy had the biggest freaking smile on his face I've ever seen. I'm like, how in the hell is that guy so damn happy? And then you meet this other kid in London who's got $100 million and he's depressed and wants to die. Yeah. What the hell is the difference? One person has immense meaning to what they do every day. The other person is just doing it to try to get the approval of somebody or doing it because he thinks that's what's next and that's what you're supposed to do. Or he's doing it to try to prove that he can do something else. He's just trying to get it done to get it done versus going, wow, you know, what meaning and what changed for that young guy up in London is when he started the school in Africa and he started seeing these kids develop and seeing 
how he can change someone's life through his good works. All of a sudden, if you ask him what it means to him to have that school, he's like, wow, I get to positively change other people's lives through every one of these restaurants I run and manage and open. That's cool. And all of a sudden, he found meaning. He found meaning outside of himself. If you go back to the old man, the meaning wasn't, I sweep leaves so I can show people how cool I am. Right. The meaning was, I clear a path for other people. It's a key. The meaning is more than just themselves. For other people to enter and exit the world. It seems like I'm beating a dead horse maybe to some people, but you know, when you're really wealthy and you have all this money, how do you know that you're missing a purpose? I mean, aren't you just... How, how, does, how does that feel, I guess, is what I'm looking for. Like, what are the clues? If I'm sitting here right now and I have millions of dollars and I feel like, I've, like I'm just sad, is that, is that it? I feel sad, depressed, and I don't know why? Or do I, because nobody's going, I have no purpose. That's like, that's exactly. people They're not that. walking around with, you know, the latest self-help book being like, I just need a bigger why in my life. And if I have a deeper purpose, that would solve everything. That's not where they're at. Normally, they work 24-7. I'll give you an archetype of who this person is to the T. They work 24-7. They've set, they've come out of school. They're highly intellectual. They probably went to an Ivy League type school. They're incredibly intelligent. They're probably top of their class, if not fighting for it. Um, if they graduated, they, they might have got their MBA. They might have done some, you know, grad school. At that point, they went into a job that they thought would absolutely allow them to set their family up for absolute financial success or that, you know, they just were hungry to prove to themselves that they would be the best at this career. They got into it. They survived the first few years where most people quit and drop out of that type of industry. They not only survived it, but then they learned how to thrive. They literally push themselves to the max. And they're caught up in this cycle where they wake up, they get ready, they get to the office, they hustle all day. And they probably crush it at work, to tell you the truth. They make tons of money. And as they're doing it, they're so proud. It's always about the next deal, the next deal, the next deal. I mean, they, they might be making, I don't know, five grand a deal to 50 or 100 or millions of dollars per trade or per deal, depending on the industry they're in. And what happens is they feel like they're just doing what they're supposed to do next. So, hey, I've made all the money. I've mastered my life. I got it. I can do whatever I want. So now I got to find someone to marry. You know, I got to find a significant other. I got to find someone to share it with because that's the next big move. And, you know, the guys at the firm tell me that you're supposed to find someone to have to share your life with. So I got to figure this shit out. So they're looking for advice on, you know, uh, how do I, how do I get the girl? How do I get the guy? Whatever they're interested in. <laughs> and, and they're, they're trying to figure that out. They find the person, um, because it's the next step. They don't take time to properly vet out the relationship to ensure it's actually the person that's going to stick with them for life. Uh, they just make sure it, it works good enough because it's the right thing to do. They get married, they have a kid and all of a sudden they realize six months into it, their life's fucking miserable. I'm sorry, their wife. Their, their wife is miserable. Okay, okay, gotcha. Like, wow, no, I, how can she be upset? I give her everything. I buy things for her. I take her places. I do things for her. And she has everything she could possibly want. We have this great house, and I work 24-7 to provide it for her. Why isn't she happy? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And so if that's kind of the archetype, and that person's listening to this in any way, shape, or form, at any stage of that, and they might be before they found the wife, so they're, they might be the single guy, being like, okay, well, that's not going to happen to me. My wife will be fucking thrilled that I'm in her life. Yeah. <laughs> Love the attitude. Great positive thinking. But Stoked on yourself. Got yeah, it. Good, good job. Uh, <laughs> good belief. <laughs> but, but let's say you're in that position. You're like, oh, shit, dude. Like, what the hell? Um, there's some things missing. And I'll tell you what they are. First, when's the last time you sat down and asked yourself what you value most in life? Now, when I say value... Uh, another way to say this is what's most important to you in life? What's most important to you? And I'll tell you what most people say. Um, depending on your, your values, your rituals, your beliefs, where you're from in the world, you hear stuff like this. What's most important to me? Being a good person. Making a difference. God. Family. Love. Health. Success. Freedom. Stuff like that. And you go, okay, good. Now put them in order. You know, if that's most important to your life, what order do they go in? Because you said God, family, success, freedom, being, you know, making money, all this other stuff. What order do they go in? And people say, well, you know, it would be inappropriate to say money comes first. So I'm going to say family first, then love, then health. No, what is that? No, health first, because I got to be healthy. Then family, then love, then success. Oh, shit. What about God? Let's see. <laughs> right. Yeah. Here's this conversation. 
eventually they figure out their perfect order to put them in logically where it totally makes logical sense. And then you ask people once they have done this and they're like, oh yeah, I can tell you exactly what's most important to me. God, family, success, freedom, fulfillment. Awesome. Making a difference, being a good person. Cool. So question, here's the big one. If that's what you say is most important to you, take out a pen and paper or bust out your iCal or whatever you use for time management and map out hour by hour how you use five days a week of your time. Let's say you sleep eight hours a night. So from 11 at night till who knows, let's say you get up at seven, 11 to seven, seven hours, let's say, or eight hours there, you, you slept. So now you have, you wake up at seven. What do you do? You know, eat breakfast, get ready, maybe go to the gym, work out, get healthy, uh, spend some time, you know, building your mindset or doing something cool, which is awesome. I highly recommend that. Now back to the show. It's what we talk about like every show. <laughs> what does that mean for you? Gotcha. So uh, I, I use a really simple philosophy. And the philosophy I use is I don't drink soda. But if you took a soda can, you open it up, you poured it halfway out. And then we give that can to a small child. A small child would be able to easily dent the can, if not crush the can. Versus if you took the same soda can, filled it all the way up, pressure sealed it, hand it back to the same small child. The kid's going to have a tough time denting it and almost impossible time crushing it by bare hands. Now, a bodybuilder could crush it, but a little kid, not a chance. At the same time, so if the person who's listening is that soda can, most people don't take time to fill up or fuel up each day. So they just go out into the world. And let's say they were half empty emotionally that day. One little thing goes wrong in their life. They're not only dented, but they can be emotionally just literally obliterated the first moment of the day, just crushed. And the rest of the day is crap because they're done. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting point. I, I thought about this a couple of months ago when I was I was really stressed out about some stuff for like a week, week and a half, whatever. And Jenny, my girlfriend, was like, you know, you're really on edge and you're like, like most people, when I'm really on edge or stressed out, I'm not super pleasant to be around because I'm like, it'll be like, oh my gosh, the mail's late. And I'm like, Son of a bitch, you know, for, you know like that kind of thing. You so, Chris Farley. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good point. I forgot about that. And so she's like, you know, calm down. And I'm like, wait a minute. You know, why am I like this? I'm never like this. The reason is because, like you said, if you've got that, you know, that thing in the car that says like RPMs and there's like a red line in there. If you're constantly revved up so high that you're basically in the red zone or like teetering in and out of it, then any little thing will push you into the red zone versus a normal human, which is resting on like somewhere in the middle there. You have to really push that person hard to get them in the red zone. But if you're constantly teetering on that line there, then it looks like you're just a hothead when really you're just carrying a sort of like base load of stress and emotion that's so high and so hard that it's it's boiling just beneath the surface. Any little thing can set it off. That's why when when couples and stuff argue about little things like, you, you know, there, there's so much tension in the house that one little thing happens. Someone leaves the cap off the toothpaste and then it's like, I'm divorcing you. And people are like, what is wrong with this couple? Really, it's obviously not the toothpaste cap. It's it's the million other things that have added up over time that have not been resolved. And and you can do that in your daily life just by like not handling your health, not handling, not managing your money well, not having healthy relationships, stuff like that. Anything that gets out of whack will cause you to rev up to that red line or to empty out that soda can. Exactly. And what most people look for is they look for the giant. So let's say you're hiking a mountain. You look for the giant boulder that might totally knock you out of, you know, off the mountain. What they don't pay attention to is as they're paying so much attention to make sure they're avoiding any big boulders that might come flying down the hill, they don't pay attention to the fact that little tiny pebbles are getting stuck in their shoe. And if you've ever gone on a long mountain hike, if you get pebbles in your shoe, a pebble will literally destroy the whole hike. Because it'll eat away at your heel, you'll be bleeding, you can't walk, you're done. You ever been on a hike and the guy in front of you gets a friggin' blister, and then the rest of the hike is one-third the speed, you want to kill that person? Or, or are you carrying the person the rest of the hike? Yeah, yeah, more likely, exactly. That's what it is. There are people, I mean, this little getting your mindset right, you know, it is a boulder, and every day, if you don't think of it as a boulder, because if one day you don't do your rituals to get your mindset right, it's not going to completely ruin everything in your life. So most people are like, it's not a boulder. It's not going to kill me. And it's a pebble. Meaning if you do it right, it puts you in the right direction. It stays the hell out of your shoe. If you do it wrong every day, 
it's adding one more little tiny piece of pebble to your shoe. And if you let it stack up over time, you're right, it turns into a volcano, it'll tear you apart. And so how I learned to do it is really simple. We came up with a ritual where we took the key components that kind of I've learned to focus on at least and said, you know, the first 20 minutes is meditation. I don't do well sitting still and then quiet. I'm active and I have a lot of energy, so I got to do something. And But I do like to sing. For some reason, I haven't done the research on this, but singing like activates me somehow as a person. So I found this really cool track by a, a guy in LA called Guru Singh. And it's this audio track. It's 20 minutes long. And it's just him saying the words, on so hum, again and again and again and again and again. And I'm sure it has something deep to do with Kundalini meditations and jazz. I don't know what the answer is on that. All I know is it feels good. <laughs> and I sit down with my wife every single morning. We just did it this morning as well. And we turn this on and together out loud, we sing with him for 20 minutes. And that's, that's our, what we call meditation. Cause we sit still, we focus on the chakras. We focus on filling our body up with natural live energy. And then we focus on just singing and being still. And what's amazing is by the time you're done with it, you're so centered and clear headed. It's amazing. Then I have a treadmill desk in my office. So I have vision boards up there. And on the vision boards, I have stuff like my 20 year vision for my life, my 10 year vision, five year, one year, six month, three month, and you know, monthly goals. That's up there. I have my values of what I want to move towards, which I'll come back and, and you know, share the rest of what I was saying with people. So uh, I have values of what I want to move towards, what I want more of in my life. I, I have values of what I want less of in my life, things I want to get out emotionally or get out of my life that's currently here. So you got to focus on getting that shit out as well. Um, and then the other part is I have a few incantations. So phrases I can use over and over and over again to fill up my mindset and really focus me that makes me feel strong and centered. Um, I have some key words that I focus on as far as traits I want more of, like boldness, determination, stuff like that I want more of in my life. Um, and then something I learned a long time ago, there's a question that I use every day that I, it, it's my way of focusing my thinking on what I want more of in my life. And my, my question is really simple. It's how can I experience even more passion, joy, love, and possibilities that God abundantly sends into my life? And that way, all throughout my day, I'm asking that question so that I can feel even more of those things in my life. Now, uh, I've gotten the question before when I said that, like, how does that make you more money? <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. And, and here's the answer. It doesn't it's by itself. If I just sit around and talk about how happy I am all day, it doesn't make me a dime more than the day before. But here's the key. I'm going to do what it takes to grow my business, to earn more money, to get more clients, to deliver more value, do all that jazz anyways. Now, would I rather be freaking miserable along the journey, hoping that someday when I do enough of it, I can finally be happy? or do I want to be the guy that finds a way to be so damn happy along the way that I just enjoy the entire journey? And if I die tomorrow, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> I'm like, hey, at least I enjoyed the hell out of today while making progress, building my business, helping people make a difference. And I, I would rather happily achieve than achieve the hope to be happy someday. So that's the process we go through. In the, and it takes about an hour. So 20 minutes of meditation, the rest of it's on the treadmill. And while I'm doing that, I'm breathing. Um, there, there's tons of research that shows deep diaphragmic breathing stimulates your lymph system, which cleanses your blood and gets your, your health stimulated first thing in the morning. So deep diaphragmic breathing, a ratio of one to three, one to three to two. For every one second you breathe in, you hold it for three times that and out for two. So if you breathe in for five, hold it for 15, out for 10, that ratio. So doing deep breaths while I'm slowly walking on the treadmill. Um, you can do finger tapping, which if you tap, your thumb to all of your fingers while you're doing it, you're stimulating your senses. Uh, and, and it's basically, the easiest way to say it is you're, you're bringing your body, mind, and soul to life in the morning and filling up and fueling up just like that soda can so that you are then pressurized to go take on the world. And the final thing I do is say a prayer or set the intention for the day of who I want to be and how, what I want to achieve. And then I'm done and I'm full and I'm ready to take on life. Now, by the time I'm done with that, I always tell people it would take literally a small army to keep me from getting done what I'm about to do that day. Versus for most people, you wake up, hit the alarm twice, take a shower, you know, shovel some food in your mouth. And it probably takes a small army to get you to go do what you need to do all day. <laughs> right. It's like, dude, even if you're in my way, I'd kick your ass and get right through you because I'm ready. Versus like, oh God, I hope they drag me out there because geez, I, I can't, I don't even know what to do next. Right. Not feeling it. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's my whole thought on getting ready every morning. The going back to values, 
if we went back to that hour by hour daily outline of where you spend the majority of your time, what happens for most people is they say, hey, health, family, God, whatever they said was most important, success. And it's like, okay, those things are what you value most. Well, show me what you do with every hour of your day. And for the average person, which I don't think people listening to this are average. You know, the average people are overweight, unhealthy, depressed, divorced, and watch TV eight hours a day. I don't think that's the crowd listening in. <laughs> right. Um, so you're far from average. I'll give you that. And you still do things that keep you from being your best self. And that's probably why you're listening to something like this, because you want to be your best self. So in that situation, where most of these guys I've seen spend their time, the majority of hours besides sleep is like, wake up, work out, get ready, eat breakfast, work all day. <laughs> Come home, eat dinner, you know, hang out with my girl, hang out with the guys, maybe get a drink or something. And then like networking, yeah, priming for tomorrow, which again, you're a young guy hungry for success, busting your, your tail to get there. It's normal. But are your values in alignment with what you said first you value most? Or really, truly, is the only thing that's most important is success, making money, and achieving whatever you want. And if people get real with themselves, most young guys, and when I say young, I mean, if you're 35 or younger, you're young. <laughs> most young guys in that category, really, truly, it's okay to just be hungry for success and be like, screw it. I don't, you know, I, I don't care about anything else right now in my life. But I'll warn you, don't have the illusion it's going to make you happy. What brings fulfillment into people's lives is when they start matching their schedule, meaning how they invest every hour of their life with what they truly value most in life. If you value spending time with your family and you spend time with them on Thanksgiving for an hour, that doesn't quite match. Yeah. <laughs> this means you have to spend every day with them. God knows they'd probably drive you crazy. Yes, for sure. But what if you did one thing every single day to connect with them? Whether it's sending them, you know, just text, hey, mom, dad, love you. Whether it's writing them a little card once a week, like, hey, I saw this cool inspirational card at the store, you know, hope it inspires you to keep being the awesome parents you are. You know, what if you did something once a week towards a friend, a family member, your community, your circle of influence, friends, your coworkers, something once a week to just be there and really invest into that relationship? You know, what if you spent once a week, let's say you never focus on your health, but all of a sudden you said, hey, I'm going to do 30 minutes of walking every day. Like, you know, what are the benefits of your life? You said you value it, but you don't do anything for it every day. It's figuring out not only what you tell yourself you value most, but how to align your actual daily life with that. Perfect. Yeah, that's the key, right? Because a lot of people do things. It's almost like a New Year's resolution, right? Yeah. You say, you know, oh, I'm going to work out every single day this year. And two weeks in, you're back on the couch. Like, what the hell? Yeah, tired, burned out, no plan, busy, whatever. Yeah, exactly. One way to help with this is to take away the mindset that a lot of people have of wanting things done yesterday and get addicted to the mindset of making progress. Being like, hey, I know I have massive dreams for myself. I know I have tons of urgency to get it done now. And I'm going to practice, and this is the hard part, as much as I'm working 24 hours a day, seven days a week to get it done now, I'm going to practice mindfulness of practicing to enjoy every little ounce of progress I make. And I forget which book, I think it was Happiness by Johnny Fenton D, or maybe The Happiness Hypothesis, one of those two books. It talked about where happiness is found and fulfillment is found. And according to them, the research shows that it's found in, in progress. You know, be doing a little better today than you did yesterday. And so what I always tell people is as you align your values, take time to focus on just the most important categories of your life, whatever those are for you. Um, the way I define them is your health. You don't have it. You don't have anything. <laughs> uh, you know, your emotions. You can have a billion dollars, but if you feel depressed, you don't have a billion dollar life. You have a depressed life. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> your emotions, <laughs> how to feel your best self every day. Third, your, your um, family life, really, truly, like your family's important. You know, most people don't spend any time with their families nowadays and then someone passes away or dies. It's like, oh shit, should have said hi, huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Your family, intimate relationship. Um, I, I had the, you know, silly experience of thinking if I could just achieve everything I wanted, I'd be happy. 
I got it all, found myself in Paris at two in the morning, frustrated because I had no one to share it with and I was bored and lonely. And I was like, well, that blows. Um, and I figured out, you know, you can achieve everything you want in life. And if you don't have someone to share it with, it's kind of meaningless. And so your intimate relationship, who you're going to share life with and experience life together with. Um, the next one I would say is probably business, professional life. What you're going to invest a good majority of your time every day into. And the, the final two would probably be, uh, money, finances. It's an important part of life. Um, you know, it's not everything, but if you don't have it, it, it gets tricky. Right. The, the less of it you have, the more important it becomes. Yeah. It, it, it gets really tricky. I mean, if, if someone gets hurt or sick or injured, um, and you don't have enough cash for it, like it can jack some stuff up in people's worlds. And so there is a baseline amount as far as how much you need to pay your bills and just have a, you know, a solid life. And if you want to achieve everything in the world, go for it. But at least hit that baseline for yourself so you can really just have certainty that you're, you're taken care of. And the final one would be some type of spiritual life, uh, whatever that means to you. You know, I'm not here to preach and tell you one religion is better than the other or what I believe. I'm just going to say whatever you believe, practice it. Because um, what sucks in that area is when someone believes I should be doing this and they never do it. <laughs> right, sure. Right? That'll mess you up. So those main areas, if you just said, okay, every day I'm going to sit down and I'm going to put one action I can do in each main area of my life. Now, if you want to add 10 more areas than I said there, go for it. If you want to chop it down to three main areas, all your, all your, I don't care which way you go with it. I'm just saying, if you pick the most important areas of your life and you said every day, my goal is to make one ounce of progress and celebrate it like hell. Um, now, side note, celebrating. We've been conditioned as a culture, and this is a, kind of a worldwide phenomenon, um, that how you celebrate a victory in life is by partying, getting drunk, and doling yourself emotionally and mentally out of the experience. And why yeah. is that? Is if you if you know what alcohol is, it's, it's physically a depressant in in psychology. We study biology of it. So you you literally have something amazing happen in your life. Go to a bar or go to your fridge, pull out a depressant, uh, drink it to numb yourself mentally out of the experience that you're just excited enough to celebrate about. It's really an odd paradigm to me. I don't understand it. It's like, hey, I'm really excited. I just did something amazing. Let me go stick a depressant into my body and depress myself so I don't feel it as much. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, when you when you put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to get an email that's like, F you, dude, Budweiser. Yeah, um, <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Okay, what would be a good way to celebrate that? Oh, something I learned from my family growing up is something called a class one experience. A class one experience is something that feels good, is good for you, is good for others, and it serves the greater good. Versus a class three experience, which many times is alcohol or anything we, we go to when we feel uncomfortable. Some, a class three is something that feels good, but it's not good for you. It's not good for others, and it does not serve the greater good. Now, logical people can try to justify and argue this all day long and be like, well, about alcohol is good for other people like, meh. uh not really you know if you look at the biological effects of the body like it tears everything apart jacks up your brain cells consistently done over time it depletes your brain cells like it, it's not a good thing now i'm not saying don't drink alcohol i don't by just choice i'm a health nut i love that side of my life um other people choose to from time to time that's great just choose so let's say take a 30-day challenge and every time you do something amazing Choose to have a class one experience type celebration. Feels good, good for you, good for others, serves the greater good. Um, the cool thing I'm seeing is there's more and more people catching on to that thought process. And I know in New York City, there's a really cool thing that's, that's kind of picking up called Daybreak. I don't know if you've heard about it. No, what is that? Um, it, it's a group of guys who got together and they're like, you know, we like to move, we like to dance, we like to feel good, we like being around other cool people. But we don't necessarily like getting drunk or smashed or, you know, on drugs at a club. What if we flipped it around? And so what they're doing is at like 6 a.m. opening up a, a morning club. I guess it's not called a nightclub anymore. <laughs> a morning club. Um, and they're blasting, you know, awesome music, having a crazy dance party for about an hour to get ready for the day. No alcohol, no drugs, nothing. Just awesome people getting together, dancing their faces off, having a ton of fun with each other to prepare for their day. And it's like, wow, 
what a paradigm shift, you know, class one experience. You're moving, you're having fun, you're with people, you're celebrating, you're enjoying yourself, you feel good, you're getting healthy, you're burning calories, like class one experience. Good for you, good for others, feels good, serves a greater good. Everyone's getting high on life to get ready for the day. Right. So yes, there's options. No, they're not the easiest thing in the world because it's not what the majority of people do. But like I said, I don't think people listening into this are like the average person. Or at least I hope they don't want to be. You know, if you want to be the average person, I used to live in San Diego. You go to SeaWorld and you see what the average person in this country looks like. It's not a good sign. <laughs> you don't need to go to SeaWorld, but I see what you did there. Yeah. <clears throat> they, they look like the animals at SeaWorld. That's what I'm saying. Like, you start to understand, you know, most people kind of are shaped like the animals there. And you're like, wow, that's the average person. And there's nothing wrong with being out of shape. Fix it. You know, if you want to be in shape, be in shape. If you like being round, be round. That's up to you. But the average person is not the healthiest, happiest, most fulfilled version of, of themselves, period. Yeah, no, very true, of course. And so there's a lot of work to be done here, right? We know that. How do we make the hard work of getting there, of this process, not feel so hard? Are there any tricks for that? Because I think that's why people start to just burn out. They're like, man, you know, this is too hard. I'm just going to be a slob. It's easier. Sure. Um, there's a huge paradigm. I mean, if you study secular history, so the cycles of history that have gone on in this country and other first world countries for the last so many decades, um, there's a really good book called The Fourth Turning. It was written by a Harvard and, and Yale historian. And they talk about literally the cycles of history. And we're in a cycle of history right now where people who are probably like 48 to 20s have never been through a really hard time as a society. Now, they might have grown up in you know a tough part of town and been through some shit themselves. But as a society, we haven't gone through the Great Depression. We haven't gone through World Wars one and two back to back. Like We haven't gone through that kind of hard time. So what hard work to us is and hard work to like our grandparents and great grandparents is totally different. To them, you know, it's easy to go work eight hours stacking lumber and working in a factory. To us, no way. Yeah, no, I will outsource that shit all day long and I'm gonna find a digital way that I can follow my passion and do what I love. And that's hard work. And if someone yells at me on the phone, I'm, I'm literally gonna freak out because that is way too much pressure to put on. Right. <laughs> and you know you hear young people and i'm 20s 30s 40s saying you know i'm gonna go to school grow up get a good job have a house have some kids and have a great life that's the american dream you know that's people in this country if you're listening from america i realize you might be other places but that's the dream that is not a standard that's not what everyone does that's what you work night and day for to possibly have the opportunity to experience but for some reason, we live in a culture where so many people just think that's what happens. And what's tricky about that, and again, that, that's a little bit more America or Australia, UK, first world countries. If you're in other countries, you might not, you might be like, dude, trust me, I have that dream too. And I hope to God I work hard enough to get it. And, and that's part of the dream. And it's beautiful to have that. Um, what's tricky is when people start to have expectations that that's just what's supposed to happen, it screws them out of the whole experience. And what I mean by that is there was a study done again around happiness. And I'll go back to how to fall in love with hard work. But there was a study done around happiness where they went around and they asked people, you know, in the U.S., what's the worst thing that could happen to you? And what's the best thing that could happen to you right now? And the average top rated answer was these two things. The best thing that could happen to somebody was they said, win the mega millions, 200 million bucks. And they said the worst thing that could happen to somebody uh, besides death, is to become paralyzed and lose the ability to move my body or portions of my body. I said, wow, that, that'd be pretty bad. Yeah, wow, that's very specific. Worst and best. And so the, the study, the people doing the research said, okay, let's go find some people who have both situations happen and see what happens to them over a year. You know, let's, let's just see what happens to so their, their happiness, their fulfillment in life, their joy in who they are. And they went and found them. The people who won the hundreds of millions of dollars over the next year, consistently, their level of happiness, fulfillment, and joy in life consistently went down over the next year. Consistently. The person who got into crazy accident, hurt, injured, somehow lost the ability to move their limbs, 
their overall fulfillment, joy, and happiness in life consistently went up over the next year, which scrambled the minds of the researchers because they're like, what the hell? Like you get injured and all of a sudden you become happier every day of your life and you win all this money and you get you know more angry, depressed, pissed off, and lonely. What the hell's going on? And what they figured out was there was one key difference. The expectation those people both had for what they thought life owed them. When the person won all the money, they all of a sudden raised their expectation of what they thought life owed them. People need to treat me a certain way. People need to respond to me now that I have money in some, you know, some different fashion than they've done before. You know, I, I, need, I deserve respect now for some reason. They, they had all these expectations of what they thought other people should do for them, how people should treat them, how they should act, all this all kind of stuff. On the other hand, the person who basically lost the ability to move they had no expectation. They're like, shit, I, I can't expect anything anymore. You know, I'm kind of just here. And all of a sudden, one day, like, they just focused for two months on moving their finger. And one day, their finger wiggled for, like, 10 seconds. And they had tears in their eyes of joy because, oh, my God, look, it's possible. I might be able to move again. Progress is possible. They had no expectations, even though they were trying so hard to try to make, you know, movement happen. And when it did happen, they celebrated it like crazy. And therefore, every day, they got more and more joy and happiness in their lives. So bring that back to daily life for most people or people tuning in. Um, it comes down to lower your expectation of what you think life owes you and raise your standard on what you choose to bring to life every day. And if you're willing to lower your expectation, drop the expectation. Because life owes me nothing. Being alive, breathing is more than enough. There, life won. It gave me everything I needed for the day. I'm, I'm breathing. I'm alive. Done. Now, what can I bring to life? What can I, from within me, add as far as value is concerned? And where I learned this, to go back to the hard work, was I took a job for three months stacking lumber up in Canada. You did that? You started, you took a job stacking lumber just to learn the value of hard work? Yep. And, you know, part of it in the beginning was to prove to my family that I could. Right. Some step family up in Canada, and they looked at me when I first showed up, rightfully so. Uh, they looked at me as like a city kid who didn't know how to work. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, fair game. Like, I can work hard. You know, let me at it. And so I took a challenge and I, I moved up there and I took a job stacking lumber. And here's what my day looked like. My step-grandpa sat me down. He's like, hey, you know, I started out stacking lumber as a kid and I'll teach you how it's going to work. You got to get to the side of the freeway by 6 a.m. It's about a 20-minute drive. A uh, van of workers is going to pick you up, jump in. You're going to drive about an hour, get to the lumber yard. You're going to stack wood for a few hours, have a 15-minute break, stack wood, a few more hours, have a lunch break, 30 minutes. Stack wood, a few more hours, 15-minute break. Stack wood, end of the day, get in the van, drive home. Take you about two hours because of traffic. You'll be hot and sweaty and smelly. Get dropped off, 20-minute drive back to the house, have some dinner, go to bed, do it again. It's like, okay. Um, and yeah, I'm that the, sounds terrible. I mean, most, getting around that, That's their version of hell. Um, but I was like, okay, I could do that. And on my way, I think, downstairs, I overheard my dad, my step-grandpa, and my uncle, step-uncle arguing over how many days they thought I was going to last. Like they were physically betting like two weeks, 10 days. Like I, I got pissed. I was like, I'm going to show them. So again, I was doing it for all the wrong reasons in the beginning, but I was going to prove to them how strong I was as a man, how hard I could work. And what I did is I decided to get up at 4.30 in the morning, work out in the gym for an hour, get, then eat breakfast, then get ready, then get to the side of the freeway, Go stack lumber all day, come home, go immediately back to the gym, lift weights for another half hour, then eat dinner, go to bed, do it again six days a week. And in the beginning, my step-grandpa kind of watched me and he was like, buddy, you're going to hurt yourself. Like, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're physically going to harm yourself. <laughs> and I was like, no, move out of the way, I can do it. And I did it. And I kept it going the whole three months. And so 4.30 in the morning, waking up, pushing myself, working out before and after, working all day stacking lumber. And about halfway through, I admitted to myself, I now thought I was about the stupidest guy on earth. <laughs> I'm like, this is the dumbest decision you have ever made as a human being, man. <laughs> Why, what are you doing here? And I started hearing all these thoughts. And these thoughts are very important. The thoughts were, I'm smarter than this. I'm better than this. Right. I'm more educated than this. The, the team I'm working with should respect me more. And what's interesting is those thoughts parallel a lot of people in today's you know working culture you're at your office you're doing your job and you're thinking my boss should respect me more 
you know, my team should know who I am. They, they should understand how much value I add to this company. You know, I should be paying, getting paid more than what they're paying me here. They should, you know, you have all these expectations of what life, people, your job, your boss, the company you work for owes you for some damn reason. I remember hearing all these thoughts in my head while I'm stacking lumber. And I remember like it just jacked with my psychology of who I was. And I'm just like loving, caring, giving person. And I was like this pissy person who hated life at that point. But I still kept doing the action. So 4.30 in the morning, every day, working out the whole thing. About two or three days of hearing these thoughts in my head, I was like, you know what? This is going to just kill me as a man. Like, I can't do this anymore. I felt like quitting just because of the thoughts. I went into a room. I looked myself in the mirror. And I had a heart-to-heart with myself. And I said, really, let me comb through these thoughts I'm having and see what's real and see what's total, just total bullshit. And I called myself out. And I said, let's start at the beginning. You know, the team owes me respect. For what? For being some random guy who just joined the team? Like, owes me respect for what? Because I work hard, so does everyone else. Like, that's not fucking special. And I was like, okay, so they don't owe me anything respect. And I'm like, if anything, I owe them respect. Yeah. There was a guy on the team who was East Indian, who'd been stacking lumber since he was 20 years old. He was 87 years old, still doing it. His nickname was Uncle Dubai because he stacked lumber in Dubai in 120 degree weather. He stacked lumber in Canada in like negative 15 degree weather. And he stacked lumber his whole life to earn money to take care of his family. And I was like, dude, I owe that guy massive respect as a human being for being willing to work that hard to take care of the ones he loves. They don't owe me shit. I owe him respect. And I was like, okay, what else? I'm smarter than this. Really? Maybe intellectually. I'm a pretty smart guy. But smarter than this? What is this? And I had to redefine what I was doing. Just like that little guy who swept leaves. You know, maybe... I'm doing something more meaningful than just stacking clumps of wood together because that's a pretty shitty description and it makes you feel worthless or me at least. So I said, instead of just adding no meaning to what I'm doing, I said, what's meaning I could add to this? And all of a sudden I started adding meaning to what I was doing. I was like, wow, I'm sculpting my soul as a man. I'm teaching myself how to fall in love with hard work so that if, if I ever get stuck in a position where I lose everything and I've got to work from the ground up and rebuild my life, I know I can. I have confidence that when all hell breaks loose and everyone else falls apart, shit, man, I know how to grind away at the extent that I can build anything physically with my mind and body and beyond that to whatever else I want to build. So I'm like, wow, that's some deep meaning. I'm preparing myself for life, for the hardest times life could ever throw at me. If I can learn it now, I'll never have uncertainty that if shit falls apart, I can't make it because I know I can. Wow, that's a good meaning. You know, I'm preparing to be able to take care of my future family. Great meaning. And I kept going. I said, you know, I should be getting paid more than this. Well, I was working for family who, friend of the family's owned the lumber yard. So I wasn't getting paid anything. Technically, I'm not a Canadian citizen. So that wouldn't work out either. Um, so I wasn't getting paid anything. So yeah, I probably should get paid more than that. <laughs> that was fair. Um, but it, it, it was learning the job and learning how to do it. And it was worth it. And I said, you know, I'm more talented than this. And I was like, I don't know. Prove it. You know? If I'm more talented than this, then why are other people outworking me day to day here? Why are other people getting better results than I am? If I'm more talented, I should be getting the best results here. So that became a challenge to myself to be like, okay, I'm going to outwork everybody here. Why? Because if I believe I'm more talented, then I should be getting better results. Right, exactly. That's a great way to look at it. So you get where I'm going. I combed through every thought that was in my head that was defeating me or pulling me back, and I changed it. And I changed them to something with more meaning or inspiration or something that would push me into being a better version of myself. The next thing I did is I looked around and changed two things. So that was changing my perception of what was going on, how I thought about it. Second thing I switched is the procedure. I said, there's got to be a way to make this damn stuff fun. And I said, obviously, I like to work out. I'm getting up in the morning and going extra at night. So what if instead of just stacking piles of wood, this was my gym? I said, I wonder if I could literally physically move these boards in a way that would be just like building muscle, you know, lifting weights at the gym all day. I'm like, holy shit, I, I would love to get paid to work out. That'd right. Be, sure. So all of a sudden I started, you know, lifting the boards differently, practicing, flexing different muscles. So like this one was a squat, that one was a curl, this one was a shoulder shrug, this one was a, you know, tricep push or something. And I just came up with exercises to do all throughout the day. And then tried to outperform people so that really, truly, I was not only exercising, but I was pushing my limits. The other thing that was missing, though, this was a really big part. I didn't feel like I was growing. So I took every penny I had at that point, and I bought as many um, audiobooks as I could off of iTunes. 
downloaded them on this little iPad I got for Christmas and nonstop 24-7 listened to constant versions of audiobooks while I was doing the, you know, moving the boards all day. All right. Good idea. Yeah. Build the mind and the body at the same time. Yeah. And all of a sudden, through perception, procedure, mental stimulation, um, and, and really finding a deeper meaning, I loved it. It was amazing. And the, the you know the second half of the three months was like bliss. I, I literally loved the process. That's amazing. I mean, it's it's sort of like really long winded version of figure out how to make it work for you instead of just whining about it, right? Which is be be the easiest way to do it, right? Is just complain about it. I'm stuck doing this. This sucks. And I actually have a lot of, get a lot of fan mail here from guys who are like, hey, you know what? I listen to you all day at work because all I do is sit in an empty warehouse and wait for people to sign things out. And they're like, it's great because I get to learn for eight hours a day and basically not worry about anything else. I just show up and learn. And it's like, wow, that's a great way to look at it because there are people sitting in warehouses for eight hours a day right now who are just like, listening to am radio or like watching a little black and white tv and they're like i hate my life and if you're there if you're in that warehouse and you have a little bit of space push-ups sit-ups physical routine listen to stuff like this mentally fill yourself up you know challenge yourself if you have time and you're just waiting fill those hours with awesome things that challenge you to become a better human being physically push yourself to figure out you know how in shape you can get you should you know i always said if that this is probably a really, really, really dumb analogy and knock on wood, it never happens. But I remember reading A Long Walk of Freedom by Nelson Mandela about him being stuck in Robben Island for 20-something years of his life. And I was like, dude, if I ever got sent to prison, I would literally make like this outline of hour by hour what I would do. Like read, work out, lift weights, push-ups, sit-ups. And I would come out being the most fit, disciplined, focused human being I could ever possibly be. And then I thought about it. I'm like, wait a second. Most people are free to do whatever they want all day, and they don't even do half that shit. Like, what the hell? <laughs> you know how many guys who are locked up somewhere who are like, damn, I wish I could work out every day. I wish I could do you know, push-ups and sit-ups and train myself and do all this stuff. But like, most people just don't have the discipline to get themselves to do it or inspiration. So my thought would be, you know, take that knock on wood. I never get sent to prison for any reason, hopefully. Hopefully. But that thought process of, you know, being like, wow, how do I discipline myself every day that if I'm in a warehouse waiting for someone all day, I'm working out my mind, I'm working out my body, I'm emotionally preparing myself for everything that's to come. I'm planning out what I want to do next and figuring out how to learn about it so that by the time I want to transition to my next job or next step in life, I can not only succeed, but I can dominate when I get there. You know, learn a new language, all kinds of stuff you could do just while you're sitting there. Great. Excellent, man. There's so much in this interview. I really do appreciate your time. I know we're at a, a great stopping point here to round it out. So is there anything I haven't asked you that you definitely want to deliver to the audience? Of course, we're going to have your website, jerickrobbins.com, linked up in the show notes, as well as liveitbook.com, so people can check out your work there. Is there anything that we missed? Um, the simplest thing, and this is a credo that we live by, and something I came up with a few years ago, which is just learn it, live it, give it. You know, I challenge everyone who's listening to this to go learn what it takes to have the life of their dreams. Go figure it out. Go learn whatever it takes to make that happen. Live it. You know, apply everything you learn so ferociously that your actions, your life becomes your message to the world. You don't have to preach to anybody what works and what doesn't. How you live your life shows them great things they could be doing too. And give it. Find a way to take everything you learn and pay it forward in some way, shape, or form to other people and hopefully inspire them and challenge them to step up and do the same themselves. Great. Thanks so much, Derek. Much appreciated, man. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Interesting stuff from Derek, honestly. I mean, it does take a lot of re-examining our time, literally just sitting down. It's, the, it's so tedious, this exercise, but sitting down, examining exactly what you're doing. Does it fit your goals? Is this a good use of your time? Can it be outsourced? Can somebody else do it? Should I be doing it at all? Should it be getting done at all? And focusing on your core values so that hard work doesn't look so much like work. If everything seems tedious to you, you're doing it wrong, quite frankly. And I love the reordering of priorities so that you end up happy. It's hard when everything seems like first priority, but when you really get down to it and you're honest with yourself, you can reorder those things so that it makes sense for you. And you might have to do it every quarter or every year, but that's okay. As long as it gets done, you'll feel much more fulfilled at the end of it all. Trust me. 
More from Jarek Robbins, J-A-I-R-E-K, Robbins.com. Of course, we're linking that up in the show notes and liveitbook.com for his content as well. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I enjoyed recording it. Of course, the show is a fanarchy, which means I rely on your suggestions. Jarek Robbins was a suggestion via LinkedIn or email or something like that. If you have one, email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com, and I will probably make you reach out to that person or introduce me, just beware. And if you enjoyed it, don't forget to thank Jarek on Twitter. We'll have that linked up in the show notes as well. Our live program details, theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. And of course, if you're listening to this but you're not subscribed, I really don't know how to beat it India anymore, but do that already in iTunes. Or we have our iPhone and Android apps available at theartofcharm.com slash iPhone and slash Android. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the AOC podcast. Tell your friends, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week. Go out there, get social, and leave everything and everyone better than you found him. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com.